Alrighty, well, if you have a Bible, we're going to continue on in Mark, and if you'd turn to Mark chapter 6, please. The title of this message is Sent as Sheep in the Midst of Wolves, Part 2. So we've been talking in the past several messages out of Mark about that Jesus sends out the 12, and the, the reason he's doing that is there's just a need to reach more people than he can reach as one man. And we talked about it said in ch- back in chapter 3, verse 4, you don't have to turn there, that he ordained, he picked 12, that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach, and also to cast out demons, heal the sick. And so they watched him do all that. They watched him heal, they watched him cast out demons, preach to the multitudes, grant forgiveness, deal with criticism. They've seen how he's operated. They haven't done much up to this point, but now he's getting ready to send them out, or he has sent them out. So they've been in training. And so we said the duty of ministers, the fivefold ministry, according to Ephesians 4, is to train the church, the members of the church, that they can go out and minister as the Lord Jesus Christ ministered in his name. And here's what we need to remember. All of us have a sphere of influence that nobody else does. So we work with people that we may be the only Christians these people are around for the most part or whatever, that no one else is around. They won't darken church doors. They'd be scared to talk to a minister, but you're there with them. And we all have that sphere of influence. So we need to pray for God to use us and to anoint us to reach those people. So it really needs to be a mindset. And we went through Acts chapter 8 last time, and that was the mindset of those Christians then. They went out, and when they were scattered abroad, that's just the church. like Be like all of us here, scattered out of Shelbyville into other areas. And it's the individual people, everyone in here. They were sharing the word. All of them were. And we just really, I'll keep saying that, it needs to be a responsibility that we have. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's not bring them to church. It's, and that's fine if you did, but our responsibility is to share the gospel. And it's got to be intentional. If it's not intentional, it won't happen. And if you always just want to be Mr. Cool and everybody to like you, it's not going to happen, as we'll see tonight later on. We'll start in verse 13 and read through verse 30 and deal with that tonight. So we're kind of picking up on the end. Uh, We'll start in verse 12. And they went out, he sent the 12 out, and they preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. And then all of a sudden it comes into the story of John the Baptist. Verse 14, and King Herod heard of him. So he's hearing all this stuff that's going on with Jesus and his disciples. For his name, Jesus' name, was spread abroad. And he said, that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. And what's happening here is Herod's conscience is bothering him big time. So if John the Baptist is already dead, what we have coming up here is it's a flashback to what happened. But Herod's hearing Jesus is alive. He knows he's about to say, he's thinking, this is John the Baptist. I went and killed this man and he's risen from the dead. He's coming back to haunt me. That's what's going on here. And he says that John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Well, others said this is Elijah, and others said this is a prophet or one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. And here's the flashback. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her. For John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him. 
But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man, and observed him. That means he kept him, kept him safe. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever you will, and I'll give it thee. And he swore to her, Whatsoever you'll ask me, I'll give it you unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, Well, what shall I ask? And she said, Ah, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger, on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. Now, that's pretty gory. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came, took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Well, let me ask you, do you think Jesus was universally loved for the message he preached? I don't think so. I think some people received his message, but he was basically rejected, wasn't he? So when he hung on the cross, he didn't have a lot of friends left at that point. His 12 apostles, they had scattered and do you think they, representing him, even after he died, were embraced as the world's next Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> oh, we love you guys. You're just fake. I don't think so. They weren't. I want to just give you a little history of what happened to, so we saw what happened to John the Baptist. And Jesus said, if they love me, they'll love you. If they hate me, they will hate you. He warned us. So James was the first martyr apostle to be martyred, and we have that in Acts 12 too, and that happened in A.D. 44 by the order of King Herod Agrippa I. And there was a writer that lived back in that day that wrote this account. He wrote that as James was being led to his execution, his extraordinary courage so impressed one of his captors that he fell on his knees before the apostle. He asked for forgiveness and confessed that he was a Christian also, and that James should not die alone, whereupon they said, okay, they took off both their heads. Now that's not in the Bible, but that's according to a historian that lived back then. And about the same time, Timon and Permanus, two of the seven deacons, you can find their names if you read Acts 6. And you're like, I don't remember reading those names. I didn't either. I had to go back and look and make sure they were in there. But they were executed, both of the two early deacons. Now, we know Stephen was stoned, and one of those two was in Philippi, the other one in Macedonia. Ten years later, in A.D. 54, the apostle Philip is said to have been scourged, thrown in prison, and then crucified in Phrygia. Matthew, the apostle, legendary accounts say that he traveled to Ethiopia. He became associated with Candace. We read about her in the book of Acts, and he was martyred in that country. Some writings say he was pinned to the ground, beheaded with a halberd. I'd seen a picture of that thing. It's a mean-looking axe in the city of Madar, Ethiopia, in A.D. 60. 
the apostle Matthias, the one that was elected to fill Judas's spot. Nothing's much is known about him at all, but it was said that he was stoned in Jerusalem and then he was beheaded. Andrew, brother of Peter, tradition says he preached the gospel to many Asiatic nations, was martyred in Edessa by being crucified on an X-shaped cross, which came to be known as St. Andrew's Cross. Peter, early church tradition, and many people will have heard this before, was fleeing Rome, fleeing persecution when he was approached by Jesus at the gates, told him to go back into the city, which he did. He was captured and requested to be crucified upside down. That's what tradition says there. The apostle Bartholomew, tradition says he preached in several countries, translated the gospel of Matthew into the language of India, taught in that country. And for doing that, he was cruelly beaten and crucified by pagan idolaters. And the last one I'll mention is the apostle Thomas. Old doubting Thomas. Got to stick his hands in Jesus' hands and in his side. It says he preached the gospel in Persia, Parthia, and India. In Kalamina, India, he was tortured by angry pagans, run through with spears, and thrown into the flames of an oven. So all of those men, he said, are you willing to be baptized? Oh, yeah, we can be baptized with the baptism you were baptized with, Jesus. And guess what? They were just about all of them. And so here's the thing, though. Get a picture of what we hear done in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. What happened to these men for their faithfulness? And doesn't it contradict what we see on American Christian television today? And I'll tell you, when you don't preach that men should repent, which you have to search long and hard to find that message on TV with what little bit I've seen, you're not going to be run through with spears and thrown into an oven. Instead, what do we have now? You'll have a $3 million home and two Mercedes, all at some widow's expense. And that's what we have on a lot of this television preaching. Because I guarantee you, you're not going to get too much money and popularity and last real long if you preached biblical repentance from sin. So that explains what we have here, this story of John the Baptist being inserted from verse 13. He sends them out. In verse 30, it's saying they come back, and in between, it's a sandwich, a sandwich effect. In between all that, he has this story of John the Baptist. You got to think, why is that in there? That's why. How many of you thought about that? Why that's in there? Because it's going to show you that's the cost of being sent out. It's that's what it's all about. So... Here's what happened. Here's what got John in trouble. Is this nice story? Is this all just about a party for Herod? Because I don't think it's a very nice story at all. It's pretty horrid, actually. And what got John in trouble? And look in verses 17 to 18. It says, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John. Why did he arrest him? It says he bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother's Philip's wife, for he had married her. And here it says in verse 18, For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So what was he doing? He was preaching the gospel of repentance, and it got him in trouble. There are consequences when you do that. And that's what God's going to show us tonight. Because I'm saying we're going to see that like John, we must faithfully proclaim to men that they must repent and know that there will be consequences. We will be like, we'll see it over in Matthew 10, we'll be like sheep in the midst of wolves if we do that. 
So John's martyrdom, it's a sign of what was going to happen to Jesus, but it's also a sign of what's going to happen to those that follow faithfully the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this world that he's in when he's mixed up with Herod in them? It's the world we're in now. It's a world of greed, lust, power, and wealth. And when you preach for men to repent in that atmosphere, which is what we have in America, there will be consequences that will happen. And that's why that story is sandwiched in there. So Mark's trying to impress upon us by doing that, that this is the cost of discipleship, of true discipleship. If we're going to follow Jesus, faithfully proclaim his message, we need to count the cost. Because it very well may be, you're saying it sure doesn't look like it now. That's just because of where we're living. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we need to count the cost if we're willing to face imprisonment or death. I just read, I, I just read an article on Breitbart News website that the French government has just passed a formal ban on spanking children in your home. French government. And I didn't realize that. 52 countries have a ban on not publicly spanking your kids, spanking them inside your house. Corporal punishment in homes is against the law. And listen to this. There is a European Charter of Social Rights. European Charter of Social Rights that states domestic law must prohibit and penalize all forms of violence against children. And France was reprimanded. This is this governing body in Europe. Somehow they were reprimanded for not having a specific law, quote, prohibiting corporal punishment in a clear, binding, and and precise way, including slaps and spankings. In your house. And we got laws basically like that now here, don't we? They find out you're spanking your kid and they're going to come in there and they'll take your kid away. We've had that happen, right? So listen, we think imprisonment is like not going to happen? Well, I don't know. Now, I don't recommend that you go around publicly. You know, really, if you're disciplining your kids right in home, you don't have to do it in public. So I recommend using discretion. But I'm going to say we need to stick with the Bible, right? So laws are passed contrary to God's word. We're going to have to make a decision. Do we comply with man's law or God's law? Amen? Now, I think you can abuse your kids, obviously, in the way you spank and discipline them. But if you discipline your children in love, that's biblical. And using the rod is biblical. And I say we use the rod in love on our children, and the consequences will happen. Right? We'll trust God. <laughs> so I'm telling you, the pressures in our society now for us to cave in and things we get so used to seeing. But I'm saying, you know somebody that is, no, what does John deal with here? He's got an unlawful marriage. He didn't just keep his mouth shut. So you got somebody you're working with that they're living with somebody? Is that, that's okay? Do, do we know what the definition of fornication is? So just because our society says people living out of wedlock together is okay doesn't mean we should be co-signing that if we're faithful to the gospel message we need to let them know no fornicator will make it in it and i'm saying i'm not saying get veins sticking out of your neck and do it in a mean way okay i'm hear me right i'm not saying that but they're in in love because i think john preached to herod in love because it's we'll see he said he gladly hurt him i don't think he was a monster about it 
But we need to faithfully preach to people to repent because the Bible says, God's Word says, no fornicator will make it into heaven. And to just look past that and just treat somebody like they're not up to anything, there's a, you're not being faithful to God or you're not being faithful to that person. You're really not showing them love. Because unless they repent, they will perish. You know, we got, I, I had to order a book. Because this subject has been brought up several times about can a Christian smoke pot? And I mean, people are seriously asking that. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So because they legalize it, it's how many states now? I thought it was just a couple. I mean, it's like seven, ten. I don't know what it is. I'm trying to keep up with it. I don't care what they legalize. A Christian is not going to be a dope smoker. Right? I mean, the fact that that's being asked and seriously asked is just I am scratching my head over that drunkenness drinking i'm saying all this social pressure and all these lesbian homosexual things i'm saying don't need to be nasty about it don't need to be mean about it but to be like we can't say anything about it and we're worried about what society thinks or laws get passed and laws are already being passed in canada it's just a matter of time down here to where you can't preach that homosexuality is a sin so People all across the world right now, they are paying the cost of not compromising and not giving in to pressure. So I just read that there are more martyrs this year than there have ever been. And the Muslims are the chief persecutors at this, at this point. And I mean, you see them lined up to take people's heads off. This is happening probably why we speak. And another thing they said, another way they're killing is they're just throwing them off of high buildings or whatever. I mean, I'm just saying it's not far away. And it's happening in a lot of places right now. People are having to count the cost. Do we stand for truth or not? And that's what tonight's message is all about. Because John the Baptist, I'm sorry, he didn't know anything about political correctness. He just hadn't got that message. He didn't read the polls before he preached to Herod, did he? You know what he did? He didn't read the polls. He read God's word and was faithful to it. And he had courage costly courage it was. So what brought about that confrontation between Herod and his lovely wife, Herodias? And she probably was good looking, <laughs> if you see how he got her. So Herod the Great, so there's all kinds of Herods in the New Testament, and actually it can get a little confusing at times. But there was Herod the Great. He ruled over all of Palestine and had many wives. It just ran in a family. Okay, he died in 4 BC, shortly after the Lord was born. So he was the one that was Ruling over Palestine when Jesus was born, he was paranoid to the hilt that someone's going to try to take over his throne. And that's why he had all those children killed. Thinking he was going to get rid of Jesus. Jesus was a threat to him. Okay. But he died shortly after that in God's judgment. Didn't live long. But he had three sons by many different wives who took over his territories when he died. And so one of them is this Herod that we read about here. In Luke chapter 6, Herod Antipas was his name, and he ruled over Galilee where Jesus ministered. And what happened was he made a trip to Rome one time, and there he had a brother. He had two half-brothers named Philip, but he had one that lived there. He wasn't a king, didn't rule in Israel, but he met him in Rome, and he's got this good-looking wife, Herodias, and the two of them fall in love. The only problem was they were both married so Herodias is married to Antipas, this Herod's brother. 
half-brother, and Herod, at this point, before he marries her, is married to this king's daughter. And he did that because it gave him territorial advantages, okay? Been married to her for 23 years. And Herodias is like, sure, I'll marry you, Herod. We're in love. But before we do that, we both have to agree to divorce our mates. And that's what happens. So she divorces Herod's half-brother, Philip, and he goes on and divorces this king's daughter. Don't divorce a king's daughter. Because I'll tell you what happened. That king was pretty ticked off when he found out what Herod had done to his daughter. This isn't in the Bible, and it's just a little extra. But he came and attacked Herod a few years after all this happened that we're reading here about John the Baptist and Jesus dying and all that. Totally wiped out Herod's army. That's, that's what he got from that. And him and his wife, Herodias, they went off into exile. Well, what's his beef? What's his beef? What's John's beef with Herod as a prophet? He's violating the law of God. We already said that. And what law was that? It's Leviticus 20, 21. If a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He's uncovered his brother's nakedness, and they shall be childless. And so what was the message he's preaching? It's the message that the 12 preached. We just saw that in Mark 6, 12, that men should repent. It's the same message that Jesus preached as soon as he came on the scene. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Peter, anointed by the Holy Spirit, what's the first thing he's preaching? A message that is convicting these Jews, stabbing them in the heart. That's what that word means. They're pricked in their hearts, stabbed in their heart, brought conviction. And what should we do? What's his first answer to them? You should repent. And that's what deep conviction will do. It will lead to true repentance. When there's no conviction there, you get somebody to say a prayer, it's, there's nothing there. Repentance is the path into God, into the Father, back to the Father. Think about Luke 15. As long as that boy was in the pigsty, wasn't nothing happening, was it? He had to get out of that far country, come to his senses, and repent Turn back and go and submit to the Father. Confessed his sin. Father, I've sinned. He's submitting to him. That's what repentance is all about. You're leaving the pigsty behind you. And we got too many Christians in America confessing they're born again in the pigsty. And you're not doing them a favor to leave them there. And I'm saying when we went out on the streets, for me, that was the one thing I found is a common misunderstanding is what does it mean to repent? I would ask a lot of people that. Well, what does it mean to repent? 99.9% would say it means to feel sorry. You can tell a Catholic they got to repent and and put your faith in Jesus. They'll be like, sure, that's great. Because they think repentance is just you go to confession and you just believe in Jesus. And you'd have to explain to them, no, in in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, that's a great illustration. Say what it means is you've got to leave. You've got to leave your sin behind. Quit doing what I want to do. You can't be a liar. You can't be an adulterer. You can't be someone that steals. You can't be someone that covets. All of those things. (laughs) You've got to repent. That means you're done with that as far as you're concerned. And explain that to people. And that's what John did. So you're in Mark 6. If you would turn, please, over to Luke 3. And we'll see what his message was. John the Baptist. And it talks right here about what he said to Herod. So Luke 3, beginning in verse 1, we'll read 1 through 3, and it says this. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch, 
of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and of the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance. And that leads to the remission of sins. With no repentance, there is no remission of sins. And look up in verse 7. And here's what he said. Then he said to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So in other words, if there's no fruit of repentance, it doesn't matter what you profess or say. You will perish. You can say praise the Lord. You can give testimonies here. You can say you said a prayer back in the Fujin camp. It's your home. 13 years ago, 30 years ago for me, if there is no fruit of repentance, it's right there in verse 9. Every tree, therefore, which brings not forth good fruit is going to be cut down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, well, what shall we do then? We don't want to go in the fire. And John answered and said unto them, he that has two coats, let him impart to him that has none. And he that has food, let him do likewise. And then came also publicans to be baptized. And he said unto, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? The tax collectors. He said unto them, Be fair. Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I comes, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Ah, so John reproved, preached a convicting word to Herod, not only about that incestuous relationship with his brother's wife, but also for his other ungodly acts. John didn't hold back. He did not hold back. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we have the courage to reprove somebody for their sin? Because their response is not always going to be pleasant. Go back to Mark 6. Because sometimes we're going to have to deal with people like Herodias. And look what it says in Mark 6, 19. It says, therefore, when John said that about it's not lawful to have your brother's wife, therefore Herodias, she had a quarrel against him. And she would have done what? She would have killed him. But she couldn't. But she sure wanted to, and she made it work out eventually. And that's what's going to happen. It's going to take courage. Somebody's going to be out to kill you. And who wants that? 
or they may just hate you. They may give you a cold shoulder at somebody you're working with. Who wants to have to deal with that now? Nobody does. Right? That's the cost sometimes. So here, the th- the, now a lot of times I'm saying you think you're going to get a bad reaction out of somebody, and lo and behold, they're like the easiest. You're, just, you're so afraid the way this guy is. You think, man, I say something to him about salvation. I just had this happen not too long ago. Somebody I'd known for a while, and I'm like, I've got to talk to you about your soul. I, this dude is a hothead. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to expect, but I'm going to be faithful because this guy may not be alive much longer. I almost bled to death. And I'm saying, man, just it all went great. And then he's calling me up a month later. So you remember we had that conversation? I'm like, yeah. So I'm saying, you don't know. Some people you think will be the nicest ones, they're the ones that hate you the worst. So you just really can't tell. But the thing is, we need to be prepared. And it's part of the cost. We need to get this in our DNA. It's part of the cost of being a Christian. We're just so used to just getting along with everybody and da da da. I'm saying that is not what Christianity is about from Old to New Testament. That if we're faithful to the Word of God, we will be hated. <laughs> you know, turn to 1 Kings, put something there in Mark, if you would turn back to 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings 22. So there in 1 Kings 22, as you're making your way back there, what we have going on in that chapter is Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, he says, hey brother, call him brother, would you go to war with me against Syria? Because they got a little bit of my land and I'd like to get it back. And Jehoshaphat, he seen he's a nice guy. He said, sure, I'll go with you. I am as you are, he said, and my people are as your people. He even said, my horses are as your horses. That's how much I'm in with you, brother. He says, yeah, I'll go with you. But he said one thing. He said, don't you think we ought to seek the Lord? Because Jehoshaphat was a godly man. Don't you think we ought to seek the Lord before we go do this and make sure everything's going to work out, see what the word's Lord is for today? So Ahab's like, sure, sure, I got just the crowd for you. Gathers 400 of his prophets together, 400 of them, and asks him, hey, should we go to war? And every one of them to a man, all 400 of them said this, oh, sure, go up to battle. The Lord will prosper you. In other words, Ahab, you're the most wicked king that's practically ever lived. You live a wicked life, but we don't want to offend you. So go. God will bless you. And are we guilty of doing that sometimes? <laughs> somehow, that didn't witness with godly King Jehoshaphat. He's like, somehow I just didn't sense an anointing on those 400 guys. <laughs> There's something wrong with these guys, right? He says, isn't there just another prophet? I mean, I've heard from 400. I mean, you tell me, Ahab, have you just got one more? And Ahab's like, yeah. Yeah, I've got another one. There's another one, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And listen, he was a faithful prophet. And you know what old Ahab said about him? I hate him. For he never prophesied good concerning me. You know why? Nobody should have. There was no good to be prophesied about Mr. Ahab, right? So look here. We're in 1 Kings 22. Look at verse 13. Go get him. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spoke unto him, saying, Behold now the words of the prophets. Here, listen, Micaiah, I'm going to warn you, don't be saying anything bad, because all 400 of them are declaring good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. Isn't that what they kind of warn us now? Watch what you say. You don't want to offend anybody. All these other preachers are preaching love and grace. Stay away from sin. Stay away from holiness. That's legalism. And Micaiah answered, he says, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says unto me, that's what I'm going to speak because I'm faithful to him. And so he came to the king and the king said unto him, Micaiah, 
Shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, All go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure you that you tell me nothing but what is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, Okay. Well, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I told you, did I not tell you he wouldn't prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he said, Hear therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, How are you going to do that? And he said, well, I'll go forth and I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And it's happening today. The doctrines of demons are rampant. They're speaking through people, prophesying peace where there is no peace. And they are trying to corrupt the doctrine of the word of God. And it's very subtle. It's happening. I'm telling you. And he said, you will persuade him. And prevail also, go forth and do so. And now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lion's spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets. And the Lord has spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, went near and smote Micaiah on his cheek and said, Which way went the spirit of the Lord for me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. And the king of Israel said, take Micaiah here, just like John the Baptist, and carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus saith the king, put this fellow in the prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, well, if thou return at all in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hearken, O people, you all need to listen. To me, every one of you. So here, speaking the truth, even in love, is going to be costly. And I'll tell you, speaking the truth in love, it's not in chapter one of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. It just isn't in there, right? Because think of the prophets all the way through and godly people including our Lord Jesus Christ, they end up in prisons, they end up in pits, they end up being sawed in half. They're not treated well. And like I say, this happening today. And so we have to ask ourselves when the time comes, and you know when it shows up? It says, he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. You think, oh, I'd be willing to get my head cut off or let him throw me off of a 10-story building. Sure. No, if you can't witness to somebody at work, you're not going to go through that. He that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And it's not fun to be disliked. It's not fun to be talked about. You know, when I went into, used to go into segregation, I'm saying there would be people there that you'd have a good talk with. And you could just, God's spirit is dealing with them and it'd be great. You'd have other ones. I'm saying you, they're, you're walking down there and they're all mocking you, talking about you, saying lying things about you. And it just makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. You just have to eat it. That's part of the price. But I had a guy one time, his name was Joe Brazel. 
And this guy was a big time drug dealer. And I mean, he got soundly converted. But he told me, he said, I'm going to tell you what. And I, when I go into prison, I do the great comfort, go through the law. It works. And I do it in a nice way. And he said, I'm going to tell you what, though. He said, I was so mad at you the first time you came and talked. He goes, I hated you. He goes, but after you left, he goes, I got to thinking about what you said, thinking about the law, thinking about how wicked I was. And I realized you were right. And I'm, I got letters at home I kept from him. He'd write me a letter after, oh, I thank you so much for coming in and being faithful. But that's the only way you're going to bring repentance. If you don't talk about sin and show somebody their sin, how are they going to repent of something they don't know? And that is the missing message. Believe me. So what is the salvation that's taking place? People that say these prayers, they don't understand the sinfulness of their lives. They don't understand what repentance truly means. So I'm saying... For all the things about Billy Graham, when I was a young man, I heard a clear message that I was a sinner. I was wicked. I was going to hell. He made that much more than clear to me. And I'm saying I am eternally grateful to him and others like him. But there was a clear gospel message being preached in that day. That I'm saying it's just not out there. It's very uncommon. I'm not saying it's nowhere, but it is just not that common. So... Like I said, that is why this is put where it's put. So instead of having John's account, in Matthew's account where he sends out the 12 and they come back, turn to Matthew 10, and we'll see that is talking about the cost of going out and witnessing. If you turn to Matthew 10, so this is what true Christianity is. So we pick it up in verse 11, and 1 through 10 is what we read in Mark where Jesus sent out the 12. In verse 11, he says, Whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. For truly I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment then for that city. And here's where we get the title of our message. Verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. And here's why. For they will deliver you up to the councils. They'll scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaks in you. And look here, brother shall deliver up the brother to death. The father, the child, the children will rise up against their parents. Can you imagine? And cause them to be put to death. And you, verse 22, you shall be hated of all men. For my name's sake, but, he says, he that endures to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee you unto another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Verse 24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It's enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they've called me the master of the house... The devil, Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? And fear them not, therefore, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid 
that shall not be known. And what I tell you in darkness, that speak you in light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach you upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather, Jesus says, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, because you are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, that's whosoever, me, you, shall confess me before men. Him I will confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, hide your light. Him also I will deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy worthy of me. And he that finds his life is going to lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He that receives you receives me. And he that receives me receives him that sent me. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. And what's he saying all that for? He's saying that, he's telling the 12 he sent out, this is what's going to happen. And he's saying that to us. We, we're been sent. When we go to work, we're being sent every day you wake up. The different people you run across were being sent. We should be praying. How can we witness to these people? And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Everyone's not going to like your message. That's what you can expect if you're true to the message and true to him. So I remember back when I went to OSU campus, they had guys that would go and do campus ministry. I, was, I wasn't a Christian. And man, I was right in there with the crowd that let these guys have it. But I was sort of like Herod. I'm thinking, I know what they're saying is right. But man, they get persecuted. They just faithfully preach the word of God. So we need to be willing to count that cost. Don't we? To share the gospel. Do we not see that that's our responsibility? So let me say there's another reaction to the message of repentance that can be as discouraging as being hated, as being what Herodias did. And that is, if you go back to Mark 6, and that's Herod's reaction. So it says in Mark 6, 20, so Herodias wants to kill him. But let's go to verse 19. Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against John, would have killed him, but she could not. Why couldn't she? Because verse 20, Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy. And it says he observed him. He kept him safe. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So Herod had a conscience. His wife had no conscience. But he had a conscience saying, man, I know this guy's right. He's holy and just. And his conscience was telling him what he's saying was right. And it wouldn't, he wouldn't, he feared him. You're not going to put this guy to death, he told his wife. Because she would have. Listen to the NET translation of those verses. It says, Herod stood in awe of John 
and protected him since he knew that John was a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard him, he was thoroughly baffled. And yet he liked to listen to John. So get the picture of what was going on back then. John is down in a dungeon chained. And every now and then, Herod tell his servants, I want you to go down there and get John and bring him up because I, I want to talk to him. I want him to talk to me, to preach to me. So it's happened often, it says. So twice a week, he's bringing him up to preach. And he's listened to him. And Herod, it says, he heard him gladly. He knows what he's saying is right. But it says, also says it's conflicting him because he's saying what he's saying right, but this is going to cause me and everything I've lived for to give it up. And it's perplexing him. It's conflicting him. But he likes what John says. So he knew that word. He recognizes that that word of God is holy, just, and good. And here's the thing. Herod was prepared to listen. He was prepared to be afraid and to be convicted, but he wasn't prepared to do the most important thing. And you know what that was? He wasn't prepared to give up his adultery because he loved his lust more than he loved his own soul. And you're going to find people like that. You're going to witness to somebody. I had it happen back to my segregation days. I talked to another hardcore drug dealer. And it was one of those times you could just do it. You can tell. You go in there prayed up and you can just sense nothing's happening here. Oh, this guy, God's spirit's dealing with him. I can tell. I can sense it's coming out of me dealing with him. This guy breaks down. He's crying. He's under conviction and all that. And I'm thinking, man, I come back next week and he's, he's ready to be saved. God will be dealing. I prayed for him. All. I get back next week. That guy was hard as a rock. And he said, man, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Really? After last week? Oh, no, I don't want to talk to you anymore. He said, because i got some scores to sell. There's people that put me in here. He says, when I get out, I'm, I'm going to take care of that. I don't want your Jesus. I'm like, wow. I'm saying that could be discouraging. And that is what it's like. People are not willing to give up their sin. And I don't scratch my head on it. How can God deal with you like that? And that's just the way it is. And God Almighty knows how those things work. I had another guy one time, it was the same type of thing, talking to him, talking to him about you got to give up lust, you can't look with lust. He liked talking to me. We talked for quite a while. It seemed to me like everything went well. Come back the next week, another case. Ah, I didn't want to talk. There's that coldness there. The guy down the way says, man, as soon as you got off the walk and out in the parking lot, this guy's like, I don't care what this dude says, talking about me, I'm not giving up my pornography. So there's another case. I, he's going to keep his pornography and lose eternal life. But yet God dealt with him. And what about Felix? We have that in the Bible. Felix in Acts 24, King Agrippa in Acts 26. So we see that at times. You're going to find that at times when you're faithful to preach the word. Paul preaches to Felix about righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come. Excuse me. And it says, Felix trembled. Most people see somebody trembling like that, man, they're like, just say this prayer after me, Felix, and we'll have you signed up for church. No, it says he trembled and answered, go thy way, told Paul this, go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. And we never read about that convenient season. Don't know whether that ever happened or not. It, it might not have. King Agrippa later on. Paul says he can tell the Lord's dealing with him. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that you believe. And then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And in case you didn't know, almost gets you just as deep in hell as somebody that totally rejects the gospel. 
But there's two kings just like Herod that God in his grace dealt with them and they rejected the word that was heard. And we're going to witness to those that seem genuinely interested, but they're unwilling to pay the cost. And those are a lot of the times, like we see here with Herod, they will turn on you to save their skin. Because look what we have here, verse 22. Old Herodias' daughter is going to do a little dance. She came to dance before Herod, and it says she pleased them. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him. The king said unto the damsel, ask me whatever you will, and I'll give it to you. And you know, these guys are drunk. And that word pleased has a sexual connotation to it. She's a young girl. She knows how to do all this. You didn't bring a teenage girl of, a, of a, the daughter of Herodias would never come in. This is like a stag party. They, would never, they sent other girls in to do that kind of stuff. But she knew what would get Herod. I'm sure this girl, the teenage girl, was beautiful. And it said she pleased them. And what that does, though, is <laughs> he says, I'll give you whatever you want to the half of my kingdom. And she goes and asks her mother, and her mother says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And you know what that does to Herod? That brings him somewhere. Look in verse 26. Brings him to the valley of decision. Verse 26, it says, the king was exceeding sorry. Yet for his oath's sake and for their sake which sat with him, he would not reject her. So good. He's a sorry, and he's brought to the valley decision. He's got two choices to make here, right? So he's going to take a stand for what's right and spare John's life and be on John's side, or he's going to submit to his wife and the opinion of those, his friends, because he gave in to them, and it said he did it for their sake. And I like what a guy said about this. We'll quote him right here briefly. He said, Herod allowed the only one who spoke to him in love and truth to have his head cut off. Think about that. The only one that spoke to him in love and truth. John loved him enough to tell him the truth. It was an act of love. And Herod had his head cut off. And John, he said, was probably the only one that ever told him the truth. Just like that one prophet out of the 400, John was the one that would tell Herod the truth. But because of this drunken party, this lustful young girl and her dance and the pressure of his friends and wife, Herod has his head cut off, brought to the valley of decision. And maybe you're there tonight, young person, old person, any person. You're torn between pleasing others and doing what's right. Someone in there just been telling one lie after another, and you know it's not right. Whatever your, your conscience is bothering you, and here's the thing. Are you going to give in and do what's right, or are you going to just save your skin? Or maybe you are involved in an illicit relationship. And like Herod, are you just going to chop off the head of your conscience? Are you going to do what's right and repent and get right with God? Or maybe you're someone that's never done, have never had much concern for other people. You just live a selfish life, pursue what pays for you, and you're in that valley of decision tonight, just like with Herod. And I would say make the right decision and let God's Spirit deal with you. Because, as it's been said, we are the choices that we've made. That's what we are. So Jesus has warned us ahead of time, hasn't he? That's what we're talking about tonight. He's warned us ahead of time that if we live our lives for him and preach repentance, we will be hated. 
We read it. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It's enough for the disciple he be as his master, the servant as his Lord. Amen. And listen to what he said to the church of Smyrna in Revelation. He says, fear none of those things which you will suffer. Behold, the devil will cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall have tribulation 10 days. But he said, be thou faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. Him that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And I think that's the people that are going to make it. You've got to count the cost starting tonight, if you haven't already, that no matter what, I will be faithful and true to the message God has given me. And I'll be faithful and true to preach repentance to those that need to hear it. So I'd like to close with three of the four verses to the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I'm wanting to get to verse four, but that song, if you've ever read, listened to it, it, one verse builds on the other. You know, a lot of these songs we'll sing, we pick verses out and sing the chorus. And really, if you go through the best way to do a hymn, one verse generally will build on the other. But I think this is what this is talking about. What we've said tonight is really summed up in this song. In verse 1, Martin Luther wrote this, A mighty fortress is our God. He's a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Now I'm skipping verse 2. Verse 3 says, And though this world with evil filled should threaten to undo us, and that's where we're getting at in America. Though this world with evil filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. The last verse. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abides. The spirit and the gift are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. Amen. That's where it's at. And that is what John the Baptist said. That is what Jesus said. The 12 apostles, the apostle Paul, Stephen, all the countless nameless martyrs down through the centuries. Let goods and kindreds go in this mortal life also. This body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. And so there will be a price for all of us if we remain faithful and preach repentance in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we'll do that. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you once again for your word tonight. And I ask, Lord, that all of us, Lord, you'll cause us to seek your face, to count the cost and be willing, Lord, for what you've done with us, that we're willing to go out for love for you and love for others to present the truth to them and to teach them what their sin is and their need for repentance. You'll show us how to have wisdom to do that, how to speak those words in love, and give us, Lord, the grace and courage, though, to speak those words. 
Amen. No matter what the results. And I just ask that you'll give us all, all of us in here in this church, hearts to be witnesses for you. And that we pray for opportunities to share the gospel with those that we come in contact with, those that are in the sphere of our lives, and that we'll see that that is our obligation to you, our Savior. And I just thank you that you'll do that for us in Jesus' name. Amen.